Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Cryptocurrents Aftershock, your connection to the world of Web3. I'm your host, as always, Steve Miller. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Carthon. Richard, how are you? What's up, everybody? Doing okay. You know, I am staying pretty optimistic on everything that's happening. Uh, there's still some blood in the water. We're, we're now in the month of July. Uh, for all those in the States who just celebrated the 4th of July, happy 4th to you. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, we're starting off the month on some, uh, there are more dominoes that have to fall before we get out of this banking leveraged, just free fall that we're in. And because I believe we're getting closer to those dominoes, the final dominoes falling over that we're getting close to the bottom, closer to the bottom. So again, I still don't think that we've seen max pain. I think we're getting closer, uh, but I'm just excited that we're almost on the other side of it. And I, I, I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're at least getting closer to it. So that's keeping me optimistic. How about you, Steve? How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I think that we just had a really exciting past weekend in terms of the NFT market. There's finally some opportunities starting to turn around there. Things are starting to potentially shift away from Freemans and that whole narrative. Um, but I think that what you're saying has a lot of merit. A lot more analysts right now are coming out saying that you know the leveraging and the over leveraging cycle is almost over uh, but time will tell right but for right now you know regardless of whether or not the news is positive or negative you can you at home can always continue to count on us here cryptocurrent to bring you the news and keep you updated on everything as it relates to the world of web3 and the thought leaders who are shaping it on today's aftershock we've got quite a bit of content to jump through but we want to make sure that you're updated regardless of whether or not it's a holiday week. Um, so this is, of course, our new show, The Aftershock. Let's jump in. The Aftershock. So in this week's Aftershock, we have the Web3 Lightning Round and Last Week in the Metaverse. So let's start out with what we got in the Lightning Round this week. And the first bit, of course, is probably a story that you've heard a little bit about already. And that is that Voyager Digital is the next domino to fall in the... Um, let's just say the victims of Terra Luna's fall from grace, right? So Voyager Digital has officially suspended trading and, fr and frozen withdrawals for all of its customers after just a week ago, um, their CEO saying that they would never do that. I feel like that's always the narrative, right? You get a uh, CEO of an exchange 
or a Celsius or a BlockFi saying, oh, we'll never do that. And within a week, it's frozen. At least that's the narrative right now. Uh, Richard, what do you think about this? And what do we need to break down further? What's tough about this is Voyager won't be the last one we see. I think there's a lot of other exchanges and DeFi companies out there that are at risk to suddenly implement this. And, and why are they doing this, right? Why are they suspending trading, freezy, freezing, and withdrawal? So think about it this way. They don't want to have a run on the bank, aka all of these people going to try to withdraw their, their crypto at the same time because it's going to make them insolvent, aka they don't have enough crypto assets to pay out people if they were to all try to come and claim their crypto. Uh, that's a problem. Not only is it a problem, uh, again, going through these centralized exchanges, this is the power that some of these have, which is another good reminder that during these tumultuous times, if you are on an exchange, if you have any crypto that's out on an exchange, a centralized exchange, that is not your crypto. AKA, like, wait, yes, it's yours, you bought it, but it's on their centralized exchange. And if they file bankruptcy or any of that kind of stuff, your assets, one of the first ones on the top and blocks. So protect yourself, move your money to um, a wallet that is in your custody or to cold storage. Uh, we well, you know, have been recommending Ledger over time. I personally use a, a, an NOS, but I personally had a friend who reached out to me and said, hey, I've been with this company for, or I've been using this company for eight years and I just had all of my money frozen. Like you want to talk about a gut punch? This sucks. And again, I don't, I don't think we're at the end of this. I think we're going to see more. So this is a good reminder that if you have any crypto lingering that is on a centralized exchange that is not in your custody, move it. Move it. Today. Not tomorrow. Today. Yeah, look, I think that a lot of things are still yet to be settled when it comes to not just Terra Luna and all of this whole you know, fallout from it, but you also have everything that has gone on with Three Arrows Capital as of late. And the big piece of this story that I think people are missing, and it's starting to get a little bit more coverage, is the fact that Voyager actually was one of the primary lenders who basically lent Three Arrows Capital a rotating door of credit um, as it related to all of the money that they had invested. So when Three Arrows went insolvent and had to file bankruptcy in now multiple jurisdictions, you run into this larger issue of, oh shit, they can't pay back to, um, their creditors. Now, I want to make sure that I bring that up, namely to say exactly what I told you before the show. The founder of Three Arrows Capital has some massive cojones to go and list themselves as a creditor in this bankruptcy case. So not only are they saying that um, their creditors include Voyager and BlockFi and Celsius and a whole bunch of other massive lending agencies, but they also credit Suzu, the founder, as one of those people that is owed a debt from the Three Arrows Capital demise. Um, it's a really twisted story at this point, at least in that specific instance, but we're going to keep our eyes on this one for you. I have a feeling that Voyager will get bailed out at some point or resolve this, um, but you're right. I definitely think that there is more to this story. But I want to um, stop things in their tracks for a hot minute because for the first time in what seems like a hot minute, we've got a little bit of a breaking news piece. Breaking news. 
Just across the wire a little while ago, the International Monetary Fund has officially made mention and a formal statement noting that cryptocurrencies and central bank digital currencies could be more effective than traditional financial products. Now, this is on the surface the most boring news story of the day. But let me tell you why it's not. The International Monetary Fund is one of three major international agencies that has historically taken a very anti-crypto stance. You have the International Monetary Fund, you have the World Bank, and you have the World Economic Forum. All three have consistently railed against cryptocurrencies in favor of gold and an international reserve currency like the U.S. dollar. If they're now starting to advocate for cryptocurrencies and CBDCs, this could actually mark a major shift in international monetary policy going forward. So this is a major, major move. While on the surface, it seems boring as watching paint dry. So Rich, why don't you at the very least give me your take? What do you think of this news? The more that we can get international people of prominence and who uh, whose word matters um, and, and has some weight, and they're saying that, hey, this is the future and this can absolutely help. We have such great bullish fundamentals in the market. I want to keep pointing to that, that even though things from a price standpoint are really bad right now, there are so many things that keep pointing to, A, things are going to be okay long term. Uh, so this is one of those moments. And I, you know, I think this is... Uh, Exciting news compared to all of the non-exciting news we've had to report the last several weeks. Look, I think it's actually one big thing to restore a little bit of hope to the market. But then again, I remember a time not too long ago where things were super bearish and we were getting just an onslaught of really positive news. So maybe this is just the thing that will break the bearish back, if you will. Um, But Time will only have to tell. I think that we have to get rid of the over-leveraging to really reverse course. And who knows how soon or late that may take. Um, So we'll have to find out together. But as always, we will keep you posted here on how this story develops. Let's move into the next story that we actually had on our regular schedule here during the Web3 Lightning Round, and that is Grayscale coming out and filing suit against the SEC over their recent spot Bitcoin ETF rejection. Now, this is a really interesting story because Grayscale has been trying to lead this fight against the SEC and their spot Bitcoin ETF application um, denial spree, at least for the last six to eight months since they started denying spot, spot Bitcoin ETF applications. So I'm curious to see just how far this one goes. But Richard, the language in this one said very specifically that like the SEC just has been almost like just saying like no to everything without any type of cause or reason. Do you think we see a reversal on this? I don't know that we see a reversal, but I think whenever they run the next one, they're not going to just get away with a a plain no. They have to really line item, itemize, why are you denying this? And I think that's the main point of this is like, even though we might lose this battle, we're not going to lose the war. And the only way we can win the war is if we get clear understanding of why we keep getting rejected. 
Yeah, I think suffice to say they are going to have an uphill battle in this case. But if there's one thing that I know for sure, it's that the SEC is one of the most corrupt agencies in our government. So we're going to have to see just how you know deep their tendrils go into the justice system as it, go, as it goes for ruling on this case. But let's move into our next. Our next is, of course, coming from JP Morgan, whose analysts are now reporting that the deleveraging cycle is almost over. So you and I have bantered on this a little bit earlier on in the show. We've talked about it across the last couple of weeks, of like what it's really going to take to end this cycle. And you know, there are other really notable um, figures and commentators in the space like Bill Noble, who are all saying that it's going to take for all of these leveraged players to like fully wash out for us to reverse course here. So my question to you is, is the bottom really nearly in? Or do we see there being some other factor at play here, thanks to like macro conditions on the global scale that we're going to need to watch out for before we're really in a reversal? There's two things that are happening right now. There is the macro of the regular equities market and the impending recession that's probably coming that you know we've been talking about for weeks that hasn't directly impacted what's going on with crypto. Most of what's been going on with crypto has been self-inflicted wounds within its own crypto uh, economy, if you will, between you know the crash of Terra Luna, three arrows defaulting, and now all of these uh, companies beginning to go insolvent like um, BlockFi, Celsius, etc. Um, even um, you know who we put on earlier, earlier Voyager. So this cascading effect that's happening is not directly correlated right now to the regular market. So we still have to get out of the, the funk of what's happening with the deleveraging cycle. And once that's done, then we still have to worry about what's happening in the regular market. So I, that's why I still don't think we've seen max pain just yet. But I do think once the deleveraging piece can at least like have the crypto market level out a little bit before we see that next run down once uh, the implications of what's happening in the, in the regular markets starts to weigh in. Yeah, well, we're going to keep an eye on it, of course, but there's a lot there's a lot that still needs to change. Um, we still need to work through a number of different things in terms of the overall world economic problem, um, you know, as it relates to supply chain and everything else. So we'll have to see. So apologies to our listeners there. Um, had a little call come through and didn't mean to have that happen in the middle of the recording. But alas, that's what happens in the in the overall global economic scheme of things. You have things pop up now and then that you don't expect. So I don't think my telephone call will actually have that much of a big deal on the overall economic condition, but uh, you never know these days, right? Any, 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 any domino can fall. So speaking of the next domino to fall, we actually have a development in the regulatory world, and that comes from the EU this time. So they've officially passed the first um, regulatory framework for digital assets in the EU, and it's called the Markets in Crypto Assets, or MICA. This is a really big deal for a couple of different reasons. Um, but Richard, I know that you read this story relatively closely, so I wanted to pass it over to you on this one. Can you give us a little bit of a background? So the main thing with the Wild West of crypto, the EU, once they saw what happened with Terra Luna and some of these other uh, major collapses in the, in the space start to happen, they wanted to put more frameworks around um, all these different d- digital assets. And the first thing that that's th- pretty sure that they're trying to address are quote unquote, stable coins. And what is it like, what can you do in order to make sure that these 
quote unquote stable coins are having a one to one backing. Uh, so it can't just implode on itself. And then they're basically going to try to add some more things um, later on. But I, I think that's where they're, they're focusing primarily to, to get started. There's a lot that needs to happen from a regulatory standpoint. I think that based on the timeline that we've seen so far, I would be very surprised if this does not begin to hurry along the rest of um, American regulation and policymaking as it relates to digital assets. I mean, we've already started to see certain pieces of legislation hit the floor of the Senate. Um, So I would honestly not be all that surprised if all of this regulation kind of comes to a head and ends up being the thing that triggers the next bull run. A lot of people are saying that that is going to be one of the biggest factors of true crypto mass adoption. I'm starting to think more and more that they're right. As much as I hate part of it because it's going to stifle innovation to a degree globally, I do think that it is going to be one of those things that really encourages the larger financial entities and the traditional finance system, even the central banks to a degree, to get further into this digital asset revolution that we're all taking part in. So it's interesting to say the least, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because there's still a lot to be discovered in it. Our next story in the Web3 Lightning Round comes courtesy of Polkadot, which of course is a layer zero solution trying to provide a interoperability layer in the world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And Dot has announced that they're officially launching a decentralized social media parachain that they call Frequency. So this will be a social network, effectively, that is going to communicate across all chains. It'll be omni-chain. So Richard, I know we've talked a little bit about decon or decentralized content in the past, and we've talked about decentralized social media. But what do you think about the future for this? Is this going to be um, you know, where social media has to head for us to have a more fair social media system that's not influenced overtly by an algorithm? Or is this something that we need to be a little bit more wary of? There's pros and cons to both, right? So the challenge with having untested information going out, especially if it's being considered news, is you can begin to put false news, fake news. Um, and there's not a lot to do to remove it if it's just blatantly false. Because um, if you're giving you know power to everyone to put whatever, have it be decentralized and, and whatnot, the, there's old saying that says the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so sometimes the loudest voices, as true or not true as they might be, might get most of the information that you see and get the most eyes and attention. So again, pros and cons to that. Ultimately, do, do people want to be able to have a voice that cannot be silenced? Absolutely. Uh, there's always going to be pros and cons to, to that. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it builds out and how it's received and who kind of goes to that platform and participates first. But I do have initial concerns that it, it'll probably eventually become pretty extreme in all directions. I mean, look, I think that a lot of us are so concerned that social media as it is today is really affected or otherwise shown the world the true nature of human beings, right? That we all inherently kind of want to read more about these, you know, fake news stories or want to go down all these different rabbit holes. And it can be really scary at the end of the day, right? It can, that can influence people's thinking. It can change the way that they perceive the world. 
But I think that at the same time, you also have the algorithms that exist right now within modern social media, whether that's on Twitter or Facebook or even platforms that I criticize all the time, like LinkedIn, that are not fair for circulating every single person's opinion, like fairly, equitably, otherwise. But I think that for people that want connection or seek connection that are in what I will call networking deserts, this could be a really good thing. Um, So there are definite pros and cons to both sides. But I think that this is going to ultimately be one of the things that technologically speaking, we need. Because for a social media platform that is decentralized to only live on one chain doesn't seem like the most efficient way to deploy. Right. Yeah. I think that if, if you want a social media platform to be decentralized, it needs to be able to interface with all chains and it needs to be able to pull in data from multiple sources. Now, I think Chainlink can do that. You know, if you have a social media platform that is on a singular chain, but if you were to do it omni chain, it can pull a lot more data a lot more, a lot more quickly. So, time will tell on this one. I'm interested to see how it develops. And of course, we'll keep you updated. So this next story actually relates back to our very first, and I'm kind of curious as to like what your thoughts are on it. Because earlier on in the week last week, we saw Sam Bateman-Fried from FTX and Alameda Research warn in a, in a social media post of his own that some exchanges are secretly insolvent right now. Now, of course, that was potentially referencing to Voyager Digital, like we mentioned earlier. But there have been a lot of different rumors circulating online as to other exchanges that may potentially be secretly insolvent. So one of those rumored exchanges, and I wasn't sure if we were going to really dig too deep into this, and I'm not sure how deep you want to dig into it, Rich. But one of those exchanges was KuCoin. And the CEO of KuCoin came out and absolutely railed against it, but not just said, we are not insolvent and left it at that. He actually provided a ton of information and data, including a recent filing with, I believe it was the South Korean government, showing exactly where their assets are and saying, like, this is strictly a FUD story as it relates to KuCoin. But in your eyes, without overshooting, I guess, what other exchanges do you think that people need to be wary of? So think about it this way. SBF. who is with FTX is trying to buy up as much of market share in crypto as humanly possible in this moment, right? When people are panicking and, and selling, that's when you come in and buy. And that's like a, a, a key lesson that was taught by um, Warren Buffett during tumultuous times. And he's seeing this as that opportunity. So, He's talking probably to a ton of other exchanges that have, are having tra- challenges right now and saying, hey, you've done good. Let us come buy you out. Let us come help, or et cetera. Or he might even be talking to some exchanges that need to be floated some credit lines and saying like, hey, look, we're going through this rough little patch. I just need X amount to hold us over until we get to XYZ. Like, you got to imagine he is talking to a ton of exchanges that are out there, a ton of other crypto companies that are out there that are all facing the same challenges. And he's trying to get the best deal possible. Why? Because he can. He has the leverage. He has the liquidity. Why wouldn't he do it? 
So when you're talking to that many people, he can't come out and say, hey, there are exactly seven different exchanges right now that are secretly insolvent. He can say, there are some exchanges out there that are insolvent. He said that a week ago and turns out, hey, that's true. One just came out yesterday and there's probably more. He can't say it because he probably signed NDAs before coming out. So all that to say, like, he's putting a fair warning out there and he's probably not at liberty to say which ones, but that's why if you're not on probably a more major exchange like your Coinbase's, Kraken, Gemini, et cetera, might be worth considering moving your assets. So let's just play a game for two seconds. I'm going to give you three different exchanges and I want you to give me your confidence in them as to whether or not they're solvent right now or at the very least that they can back up what they've got and or back up their rep. Now, I'm going to leave Binance out of this one. I'm going to leave Coinbase out of this one. And for good measure, because I'm assuming that if SBF is coming out and saying this, I'm going to leave FTX out of this one as well. So let's start with a couple that are more global. Let's, let's uh, first go with Kraken. Do you think that Kraken is still a reliable exchange? I do. Okay. What about a player like Bitfinex? That's tougher. Uh, that's 50-50 for me. Okay. I lied. We're going to play it to five. Gemini. I think they're good. Okay. Um, how about... Oh, I don't want to do that one because they're a friend of the show. Damn it. Um, what about BitMEX? <laughs> I don't trust BitMEX, period. So... <laughs> Yep. And that's exactly why I asked. I want to make sure that we're getting good information out there to people. The final one that I will give you, let's just play the scroll and choose. What about Bitrix? I'm putting them at 50-50 as well. Okay. Last one for you only because I, I think we saw... I don't remember if it was in Thailand or if it was in Singapore, um, but I believe it was OKCoin or OKX as they're now referring to themselves. Mm -hmm. You think they're in good shape? I don't know enough about them to be able to uh, make an assessment, but how about you? I think for OKX is one of the ones that I'm kind of concerned about. And like, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to FUD them, but it was either OKX, it was either OKX or it was Wobi. It recently had to, I guess, pull back all of their ties to a certain country because, like, there was some real like legal concerns or regulators like railing against them for not being able to back up their assets. So I would be skeptical of those two. I would do some more digging and research into them before keeping my assets over there. Um, but I think your greater point at large is that you should be custodying your own assets. Um, I personally believe that KuCoin is a reliable one. I believe. The, the, the Winklevoss or the Winklevi um, twins are not going to let Gemini ever go insolvent. I think they're too conservative in terms of the overall way they think about finance to let that happen. I am skeptical of Kraken. I really am. I just, I don't trust them. Um, there was some really shady shit that happened last year with them that I, they have to re-earn my trust. But I do think that the like BitMEXs of this world and the Bitfinexes they're ones that like I really question. Um, so definitely, if you can, custody your own assets on a ledger. Keep it on cold storage. Make sure that you know that you know not your keys, not your crypto applies here. 
Um, and even something as big as Coinbase, like they said earlier on in the year, like we have a claim to your assets if you keep them on our exchange. So to me, I'm moving as much as I have over to cold storage and just leaving it there because I'm not a trader. I'm an investor. I look at things from the long term. And if I can't trust exchanges in the short term, you better bet that I'm going to keep it on my own, my own custody. So that's just a little piece of advice and a little game that we wanted to play through there with you. Um, but again, protect yourselves. Speaking of people that you should be protecting yourself from, um, there was a big story this week out from the FBI about Ruja, the crypto queen, Ignatova, um, who is the former founder of a project that was going by the name OneCoin. Now, OneCoin is an interesting project. And the reason why it applies here is because it was a scam that was valued somewhere between four to $15 billion in value depending on when we were talking about it, right? Leave back when it actually occurred, it was a $15 billion scam. And in the current market conditions, it's valued around $4 billion. But she went missing after they officially went and published that you know this scam was out there and they wanted to bring her in. And now she's officially on the FBI's Most Wanted. So Richard, you brought this story to my attention. Um, what more do you know about this? And is there any type of reward if we track down Ruja Ignatova? Because I am uh, currently down a little bit and I would love to make my money back by finding a scam artist. Yeah, I believe there's a six-figure reward um, if you can help um, find uh, Ruja. But it's uh, I wanted to just share this because unfortunately the biggest downside to crypto right now and why people hadn't gone to the mass adoption everything else is people say it's a scam. And then you have stuff like this where you have someone on the top 10 FBI most wanted list, which, you know, uh, we are, we're, we're talking like uh, Saddam Hussein used to be on this. Like, I mean, Osama bin Laden, like, you know, we're talking like worst of the worst kind of people. Like she made that list. Like, <laughs> bro, that's, that's wild. A crypto scammer made that list. Right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, just just wild times we're, we're living in. No doubt. And I think that that is just as good an opportunity to jump into last week in the metaverse before we wrap up this week's edition of the Aftershock. So let's talk about another massive um, data breach that's gone on in the world. And I mean, look, we talk about scam artists, we talk about um, data breaches all the time here. And it's it may seem a little bit scary to those that are just jumping in for the first time, but I want to go ahead and give a little bit of reassurance, um, or maybe it's not so much a bit of reassurance, but just a leveling factor. There are just as many scams and just as many scammers and just as many data breaches out there in Web 2 as there are in Web 3. More. Um, yep, if not more. Um, so the truth is, is we're in early days here, but... There will always be bad actors. We just ask that you do your best to protect yourself from them. And we're going to continue to give you the tools to do that as best we can. So this top story in the metaverse this week comes courtesy of our friends over at OpenSea, or as I affectionately refer to them as, BrokenSea. This story um, has more to do with a partner of OpenSea than anything else. They were trusting an um, email service provider called customer.io for their uh, customer analytics and tracking a lot of that data. And at customer.io, one of the employees actually 
was found to have copied the entire database of OpenSea customer emails and then, I believe, sold them all to a third party. Now, we do not have any type of announcement from BrokenSea as to whether or not um, that third party was malicious, if there's a plan to deploy against it, if it's a formal like corporate entity or if it's just a black hat group, but it is out there. If you have linked your email to your OpenSea account, your email is out there. They have your email. And the question now really has to become for the consumer, well, what does that mean, at least for me, right? What can I do? Now, there's a lot you can do. Number one, feel sad. Feel like there is you know, a lot of really bad stuff going on in the world, but know that you can, can take control of your life and you can take control of the outcome. So Richard, we have a couple of different recommendations here as to what people can do to protect themselves. Would you mind running through the first two and then I'll take the back two? For sure. So number one, be cautious of OpenSea impersonators via email. So one of the ways that this happens is you'll get an email from, and I'm doing this in quotations if you can't see me, OpenSea. And when you click into the email itself, you look at the email address for OpenSea, you know, typically you have stuff like info at OpenSea.com or uh, uh, contact at, at um, OpenSea.com. What will typically happen is you'll have like, once you click on OpenSea and you look at what the email address is, it'll be something super long at gmail.com or some crap or hotmail.com or whatever it is. So that's the first place you can look to see if, if it's legit. Uh, next, check all URLs, check all URLs linked in OpenSea emails. So a lot of them might say www.opensea.com as the thing, but when you click on it, the actual hyperlink to it goes to something completely different. Therefore, you should not immediately just click on any URL that is within one of these OpenSea emails. Double check, verify the actual URL, like copy, copy, like there's a thing where you can right click and it says copy uh, link address. So I would then copy that, put it in your URL and see where it leads you. And if it looks anything but legit, don't, don't move forward. The phishing attempts are probably the biggest issue out there, right? Because 90% of the, like, the true bad actors out there that are phishing you with fake OpenSea emails, they're always trying to send you a link, right? Yep. They always want you to click on something. So be wary of that to your point. But if an email ever asks you or immediately prompts your MetaMask wallet to sign a transaction, please don't do it. Don't do it. Um. That is probably going to be the biggest red, black flag that you could possibly find. Never, ever, ever sign a, tra a wallet transaction that you do not know where it's coming from. Yep. And I think with that on the radar, like, I mean, the last one's really simple, but I want to expand on the first real quick. You should be setting like a timer for yourself. If you are online and you're messing around with, you know, crypto assets or you are in your wallet, you know, messing around with NFTs late at night, set a timer for yourself when you need to stop because you've been online for too long because things will start to blend together. I have been a victim of that in the past. And I'm trying to make sure that as many people as possible know that that is not what you want to happen to you. Um, protect yourself. The last piece is one that I'm sure that you've heard of before in this space, and that is never share passwords or your seed phrases. Um, no one will ever ask for them. If they do, they're there to take crypto. <laughs> it's, 
a pretty straightforward thing at this point, but it's it's very serious. We have to take it seriously. So let's jump into our next um, story, and that is an interesting one that we mentioned a couple weeks ago. Yuga Labs, um, who of course is the founders of the Board Ape Yacht Club, Mune Ape Yacht Club, Board Ape Kennel Club, the other side, and probably a bunch of other assets at this point, like Codas. <sighs> now that I've got that out of my system, they've filed lawsuit against someone who is being called a bored ape slanderer goes by the name of Ryder Rips, who is the creator of GordonGoner.com. Now, Gordon Goner is one of the actual founders behind Board API Club. And he, he, Ryder Rips, did this to point attention to the fact that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes in terms of the traits and what Board API Club was founded to be about than, me, than may meet the eye. And there are a lot of different opinions on this. And frankly, I think everybody should be reading this and educating themselves and understanding, okay, what is what here? What is real? What is not? And determining that for themselves. But there's a lot to be understood about this entire case. I don't necessarily think that it's slander. I think that after reading GordonGoner.com, like for myself, I have found that it's more so an educational deep dive into the internet and what 4chan trolling really looks like. But to other people, it may seem differently or may come across differently. So I don't want to dig too deep into this here, but it has officially been filed in terms of this lawsuit. And Yuga is going after Ryder Rips on this case. So we're going to keep you updated on it. I don't want to dig too much deeper into it, but all I ask is that if you at home have not you know, done your research into this and found yourself on one side of the aisle or the other, do the research, start to educate yourself on this type of topic because the IP questions and you know what really is slander in this space is going to be a topic of conversation for not just months, but likely years to come. So it's an important one to be aware of. Now. This, I believe, is either our final story of the day or our second to last story of the day. Actually, it is our last story of the day. This is basically the close of June, right? We're now into July. June was officially the 12-month low for NFT sales. Richard, I know that you and I are you know, relatively deeper connected into the NFT market, but do you think that this whole 12-month low is just a symptom? Or are we in for more pain in NFTs first? I think we're, from an NFT standpoint, I think we're getting towards the bottom. But if you look at where were people putting disposable income, they were basically making money in the regular crypto markets, transforming that money and then putting it into NFTs and then flipping that money. So, right, it was like a cascading effect, right? The, 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 the entry point was, oh, here, I have this extra liquidity. I'm going to go put it in this thing called NFTs and have it make money. So the challenge of it now is that because flips aren't as quickly as they used to and, people, and the liquidity of people is drying up, um, they aren't as quick to put them straight into NFTs. So I, I think that this is healthy for the overall NFT market. So whenever we do reverse course and start going other direction, it probably will be very bullish. Um, but just because it's uh, June was the... Um, slowest month in the last year, I don't think that it all of a sudden means that NFTs are dead. What's your take on it? I think that right now we are at a point where in NFTs, things operate in a micro cycle as opposed to how it operates with the rest of the market. I think that ETH and Bitcoin are still very much so tethered to the traditional markets, especially like things like the NASDAQ that are tech-driven and the S&P 500. 
But when I look at NFTs, these micro cycles are showing that it's somewhat detethered from the overall markets because you're trading on culture. And across the last month or so, it's been largely free mints, right? And it's really hard to think that NFT revenues can go very high when everything is being sold for free. Now, when I say that, understand that all of these free mints make their money, or at least the projects behind the free mints, make their money on royalties. So that's why a lot of the volume in June has been very low. Because royalties are typically like somewhere between 5 to 15% of your overall secondary market transaction. I think that we're starting to see right now, based on the quality of projects that are coming to market at the end of June and the early part of July, a theoretical trend reversal, or at least a market that is getting the ammunition to reverse course. The reason I say that is because there's some very hotly anticipated mints that have been coming out to reverse that trend. You have um, OnChain Monkeys Karma Collection. We had OnChain Monkeys Amanda Terry on the show on Friday of this past week, talking a little bit about the Karma Collection. Ton of really incredible work went into that. And I think that as all of that work went in, there's a lot that can be seen as like a massive shift in terms of the quality of projects that are out there and what they're aiming to do. You also have projects like The Possessed. Possessed has been out there for a long time. They have over 200,000 followers on Twitter and they minted out in seven minutes. Okay. Seven minutes for a project to mint out is pretty crazy. And the mint price on that one was 0.25 per if you were on the allow list and 0.35 ETH if you were on the public list to mint. So to me, I think those two are really great indicators that we're going to see volume come back to the market. But then you also have a couple other high quality Freemans like Wizards and Goblin Town that have been making waves nonetheless. And also um, Wrecked Guy um, from, what is his name? Uh, it's escaping me for the moment. Anyway, OSF maybe? Anyway. Point is, is that I think that you're going to start to see higher quality projects come out that are going to continue to hopefully help reverse trend. Um, I think that we could see that happen at the end of July or the early part of August, but it's going to take a ramp up period. People are going to need to see that there is still quality out in the market and not just a bunch of shit derivative projects that are coming out on free mints to take your money. So be very careful with your investments in NFTs, but know that because of these micro cycles that we've proven in the past, there will come a resurgence despite this overall bear market. I'm very confident of that at this point. Um, Richard, do you have anything else to share on this one or are we about done for this week? Yeah, I think we wrapped it up. Uh, ultimately, as we kind of look at where we are in the market and, you know, we are going to report on the news regardless of what's happening, where it's bullish, bearish, in in between, we're going we're gonna to share it. But, we want to make sure that the information that we are given is just to keep you at the forefront of what's happening so you can make your own informed decisions so that you can then decide either from how can you either protect yourself, how what's a good price entry for whenever you do want to re-enter the market. If you've been on the sidelines, you've been looking for that first time to be entering the market, is this the right time to potentially be looking into it, etc. So we're going to just keep presenting you the information so that you can feel very empowered and encouraged to go and make informed decisions rather than just feeding you FUD, which just stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We're not here to give you that. We are here to give you information uh, as it's being presented. 
Uh, more than anything here, we truly do stand by the fact that our pitch on what we are is your connection to Web3 and the thought leaders who are shaping it. It does not matter if we're bullish, bearish, or stagnating. We still want to be that connection for you. We want to keep you connected and understanding what's going on. So Richard, I'm right there with you and I will be until the end of time, buddy. You know I'd follow you into war and that's where we are right now. A war for bullish momentum. So look, we've got a lot going on in the space right now. Of course, we got brand new content coming out for you at home every single week here at Cryptocurrent. We have a brand new podcast interview for you every Monday and Friday. New episodes of The Aftershock on Wednesdays. I still host every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern our weekly Twitter space called Non-Fungible Thursdays, where we give you a quick update in the market and talk NFT alpha. We have Chris's Crypto Decrypted segments every Thursday in the mornings, I believe, on YouTube exclusively. And of course, we have our editorial from our team at CryptoCurrent. Richard, what were our interviews this week? So Monday, we had D. Alexis Samuels, who is sharing financial literacy for a digital world with Finlit X. It's a really cool um, project that's uh, going to be launching really soon. Uh, and it's a great way to be learning about financial literacy uh, across the board, not just in the world of crypto, but but everything. Um, and also giving students the opportunity as they learn it, uh, they qualify through to be able to get potential money back from the universities that goes towards uh, either tuition or some other stuff. So they have some really cool things in place there. Uh, I recommend checking out. And then Friday, we have uh, Brooker Belcourt on rewarding the next top money managers on uh, Kobe. Uh, it's really cool that they've basically been able to find an institution that if you're both in crypto and in traditional markets, you can now go pull in your information from like a um, Fidelity, a Coinbase, et cetera, put all of that into a gigantic portfolio and then be able to put different types of strategies and see how they play out over time. And then if you're one of the top analysts that are coming up with these strategies, you get rewarded in the crypto. So you don't even have to really put your own money up. You can just be implementing strategies. And if it's working, uh, you get rewarded for that type of alpha that you're providing. So another really cool um, platform to, to come and check out. For sure. And look, I want to make sure that I give a quick shout out because it's a friend of the show. Um, Amanda Terry from OCM and Metagood was on last Friday with me for an interview talking all about how OCM, which is on-chain monkey and Metagood are really aiming to show that NFT projects cannot just do good in terms of their financial vo volume, but also, well, I'm sorry, not just do good for the world, but also do well in terms of for their investors. It's one hell of a way to really butcher the pitch, but it's a great episode nonetheless. So look, that's going to wrap up this week's Aftershock for you folks at home. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are not yet subscribed on YouTube, please make sure you are. We do these on YouTube every single week on Wednesday, but we also release it via your favorite podcast platforms at home. So make sure that you are following the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. But that's going to do it for me, Steve Miller. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Miller underscore PHX. That's been Richard Carthon. You can follow him at Richard Carthon. But we will see you next time on the next edition of the Aftershock. And we hope to hear from you soon in the comments or via review. But we hope you have a great rest of the week. Stay cryptocurrent. See you next time.